can't hear and see a God like him. Do you understand that? It is the goodness of God that you and I have even come to a place of acknowledging his supremacy and our dependency. Thank you for listening to Sozo Church in Spokane, Washington. For more information on Sozo Church, visit sozospokane.com. If there's a work for us to do, it's stop building the wall. I've said this for years, I'll keep saying it. It's not about trying harder, it's about trusting more. says God's waiting for you to work to somehow show him that you're worthy of his saving to to somehow deserve it or somehow earn it. Church, I have very good news for you. You will never deserve it and you can therefore never earn it. This is Sozo Church. How's everybody doing this morning? I do as well want to just thank everybody for being here. You know, there's a lot of places we could all choose to be on a given Sunday morning, and I think you guys made the best choice. Three of you agree with me. That's cool with me. I don't need more than that. It's fine. Three of you agree. The rest of you are like, I'm just here for the free food. Um, before we even jump into the word today, we have some something we need to do, um, and that is... Uh, this Wednesday is a very special day in this country. We, we, we've decisively as Sozo, I should, I should back up. I'm not going to say Sozo. I'm not going to blame the whole leadership team. I have decisively decided as a leader to uh, be as unpolitical as I possibly can be. Um, comes from the fact a lot of different places. Uh, for me, I think my upbringing, not judge anybody else's, my upbringing was such that I had a hard time distinguishing between my parents' uh, political views and their spiritual views. Anybody kind of recognize that trouble? And what I mean by that isn't that our, our spiritual views shouldn't you know, have influence over our political views, but what I mean is, to me, I almost got confused, and, and I thought, well, if you're in the same political party as my parents, then you're Christians, just by default. It's kind of like, I'm born in the South, so I'm a Christian. You know, it was just, it, it, it just I'm born in the Northwest, I like coffee. It just doesn't, we don't have another way to do anything. So uh, I've decided to be as, as unpolitical as I can be because I want the gospel to be what offends you. Okay, um, um, so, so the only person in this church that knows my political views is my wife. Nobody else does. Uh, some of you have guessed, you're all wrong. Um, um, it should say something to you about the fact that I say that my political views, I, I want the gospel to offend you, you know, my political views, that my political views will probably offend 95% of you in the room. So um, we don't go there. However, there's something that's happening this week that I think uh, goes beyond uh, politics, and that is this Wednesday, we are honoring those who have served our country in the military. And I don't care what your political party is, uh, we ought to honor those who have served. The Bible says, give honor to those whom honor is due. And these people, whether they served in wartime or not, they put their lives on the line and they were willing to. Um, and so, uh, if you have served in any branch of the military, Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines, National Guard, or the Reserves, will you please stand up? I know you don't want to, but will you please stand up so that we can honor you? Come on, church.
Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, my dad served in the military. My, many of my siblings have. Uh, I tried to. <laughs> it took one look at my physical condition and said, no thanks. Um, so, but all the ads said you were looking for people. Like, you're barely qualified. Um, but uh, honestly, from the bottom of my heart, thank you. And uh, thank you for your service. All right, let's get to work. Um, Going to do things a little bit different this morning. Here's what I want you to do. If you have a Bible or one of those flat screens with a Bible on it, go to Isaiah chapter 64. However, while you're doing that, I'm going to ask you to do two things at once, so stop chewing your gum. Stand up. Some of you are confused, like, why do I have to stop chewing my gum? We love you. Isaiah 64. I'm going to read you Isaiah 64 in a minute, but here's what I'd like us to do. I've got some verses to open us to open with, so I confuse the poor people running the slides in the back. I want us, if, if we can, let's read these together. It's going to be loud. It's going to be awkward. You're not going to like it, but it'll be fun. Okay? Yeah, this is fun. This is uh, Psalm verse 50, or chapter 50, rather, verse 12. One, two, three, go. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world and its fullness are mine. Next we have uh, Mark chapter 10, verse 45. Mark 10, 45, ready, set, go. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. You guys sound good. You guys are good readers. You're the best at reading. Acts chapter 17, verse 25. Ready, set, go. Nor is he served by human hands as though he needs anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 11. 1 Peter 4, 11. Ready, set, go. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. That's a good place to add another amen. I know we're not supposed to add to the scriptures, but that's a good place to add. Just reread it. We're not adding. We're just rereading. And then last but not least, this is my hope to be the heart's cry of those of us in this house and those who trust Jesus. This would be Psalm chapter 20, verse 7. Ready, set, go. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Amen? Come on. All right, stay standing while I read you Isaiah 64. You can follow along either on the screen or in your books, but don't read at the same time because it's too long and it'll, it'll get bad. Okay? It'll just be bad. Psalm 64. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake at your presence, as when fire kindles brushwood and the fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries, and that the nations might tremble at your presence. When you did awesome things that we did not look for, you came down, the mountains quaked at your presence presence from of old. Catch this please. Verses four and five. From of old. No eye has, no, no ear. <laughs> no one has heard. I can read, I promise. From of old, no one has heard or perceived by the ear. No eye has seen a God besides you who acts for those who wait for him. You meet him who joyfully works righteousness. Those who remember you in your ways. Behold, you were angry and we sinned in our sins. We have been a long time, and shall we be saved? 
We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and in our iniquity, the wind takes us away. There is no one who calls upon your name, who rouses himself to take hold of you, for you have hidden your face from us and made us melt in the hand of our iniquity. But now, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay. You are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. Be not so terribly angry, O Lord, and remember not iniquity forever. Behold, please look. We are all your people. Your holy cities have been have become a wilderness. Zion has become a wilderness. Jerusalem, a devastation. Our holy and beautiful house where our fathers praised you has been burned by fire and all our pleasant places have become ruined. Will you restrain yourself at these things, O Lord? Will you keep silent and afflict us so terribly? Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, we thank you this morning that we are not left to wonder and to wander, but we are left with the powerful and active and living reality of who you are revealed to us through your word. And we ask this day for you to do something beyond natural as we have read your word in with our, with our eyes, with our minds, with our hearing, God, that you would now take that word and breathe life upon it through the preaching of the word and that you would deliver a message, God, to the heart of your people. God, speak to us corporately, speak to us individually. Transform us through hearing, God. Let the seed of your word penetrate the hardness of our heart and let us be transformed through the hearing, the receiving, and yes, God, the obeying of your word. Lord, where our perspective is not in line with your perspective, God, that you would grant us the wisdom to know that you are right and we are wrong. That repentance would be granted that our hearts might be transformed to look a little more like your heart today. Let us leave here different than we walked in. I don't want to be the same as I am. It is exhausting having to live with me all the time. So change me, Lord. Transform me. Change us. Transform us. Renew us evermore into your image for your glory and your honor, for your name and your renown. In Jesus' name, everybody said? Come on, everybody said? Amen. So we are coming to a very, uh, the end of this series very quickly. I hope you've enjoyed um, our journey through Isaiah 64 in a series we've called The Elephant in the Room, talking about these topics, these issues, these struggles, these, these things that are typically kind of avoided in our life, avoided in our journey with the Lord. We just want to kind of pretend like they don't exist. But Isaiah here recognizes them as one of the things that hinders our encounter and experience of God in his goodness and his fullness and in the reality of who he is. And so we want to talk about the elephants in the room. Amen? So um, we're coming to an end of this series, and, and we, we really, this is the last installment of, of the series in any sense that is uh, a message within the series. Next week we will have a conclusion, and that conclusion will consist of a, of a brief recap uh, and then we want to answer the, the questions, the struggles that have kind of risen in your heart as some of these things have been presented and we've kind of gone over them. So if, if anything, whether you've been here the whole time or you're just here for the first time and you kind of have a question about something, hey, that doesn't 
makes sense. That kind of rubs me the wrong way. I don't really get that. Uh, be as controversial as you like. And uh, what we want to do is we want to get those questions. So what we've done is, is we've provided some, some white little three-by-five cards that you can write your questions anonymously on, drop them in the little black box back there. Um, or you can email us, text us, send it in through your favorite social media that we happen to be on. However you want to get those to us, uh, go ahead and do that. Um, this is, we, we've done this several times in our history where we respond to the questions that we have. You know, some people think it's not good to ask questions in church. We disagree with that. We think church is a place where we can ask questions. By we, I mean four of us, apparently. Um, <laughs> we think it's all right to ask those questions. We want to we go ahead and do that. So uh, here's my challenge to you. Um, next week is one of the easiest and hardest messages for me to do. It's hard because I have no idea really uh, what's going to be asked for the most part. Sometimes I get little previews, but I don't really know for sure. It's kind of all off the top of my head. Um, but the, it's also the easiest because it's your job to come up with the questions. If you don't provide them, next week's just going to be real awkward. And it's your fault, not mine. So uh, we're going to go ahead and jump in. Uh, we're kind of wrapping this up looking specifically um, at what, at the elephant in the room, I would say it this way, that is our perception of God. I, I would, I would wager a guess to say there's, in America, which is where we are, um, you're welcome, and uh, where, where we are, I would, I would wager that there are two predominant views that are wrong about God, two primary ways, two primary errors that I hear, represented them here with some nice pictures for you. First, we talked about last week, that would be Jesus is my homeboy. This is the camp that's like, hey, God's loving, he's good, it doesn't really matter what I do with my life because he's just going to kind of ignore all my sin and it's not a big deal and, and, you know, me and Jesus are tight, so it's cool. We dealt with that a lot last week. Uh, I'm not going to go back into it per se. We, we realized that, that the old slogan, the elephant slogan, I would call it, of God loves the sinner while hating the sin is not truly the whole story that the Bible says. The Bible says, and Isaiah makes it clear, that we are enemies of God when we are in sin. When sin dwells within us, sin is not something that's external and out there from us, but sin has corrupted our very being. So God, actually, a more appropriate way would be to say that God loves and hates sinners. And that that intersection of his, of his righteous wrath and judgment and his love is what we see demonstrated on the cross. It's brutal, it's bloody, it's messy, it's not comfortable, but yet it is the very thing that provides the, necess- the, the necessary element of our redemption. So that's the one camp is Jesus is my homeboy. I think we crushed that one last week. The next one is right beside it. Jesus is coming. Look busy. She's coming back, let's look busy. God, God is angry, he's upset, he's frustrated, and you better be doing something to appease him. I remember my, my parents, as, as I got older, they would leave the house and leave us alone, and my parents would do, you know, I, I was raised most of the time, I have, I have four brothers and two sisters, so uh, it's, it was a little bit of a madhouse when I was growing up. So anytime my parents left us alone, they would give us a long list of chores to do in an effort to keep us busy so we didn't end up in the hospital. Because my great-grandma used to tell my mom that one boy is a whole boy, two boys is half a boy, and three boys is no boy at all. And you have five, Lord help you. <laughs> we, would, we would, 
Every house we ever had, we had to patch holes in walls. Every house we ever had, we had to put out fires. My brothers and I used to love, I've worn Chuck Taylors most of my life. And one of the cool things about Chuck Taylors is the soles start to come off the bottom as they get older. And what we used to do, we thought that was the Lord's way of letting us put forks down there and then kick outlets. That was fun. Every, 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 every wall in our house had like sparks and smoke up the side of it. We would do this when my parents were gone, not the chores. And what would we do when we would hear the car pull up in the driveway? Chores. We'd get them all done. Like we thought, well, we can get this all done in three and a half seconds while mom's parking in the garage and coming inside. It'll totally be fine. Confession. We always had a garage full of crap. We never parked in the garage. I don't know why I said that. <laughs> But we would, we would rush to try to get everything done. Sometimes that's people's attitude, like God's going to come back. I read that somewhere in the Bible, so we better try to look as busy as possible. Now look, there, there's a truth to the fact of, of Camp One that Jesus, Jesus wants to have an intimate, loving relationship with you. Amen? But there's an error in the way that it's applied and it says that I can just kind of live however I want. He doesn't care about how I live my life, whether I honor him or not. Well, just in the same way, Jesus is coming back. And we, he has given the church, his redeemed people, a job to do while he's gone. Partially probably to keep us from fighting with one another. We would probably fight a whole lot less with one another if we just got to work. Amen? So, so we, we, we understand this, but, but the reality is that they're both wrong. When those are our, our limited views, they're wrong. And last week we talked about the first one. This week I want to spend our time and talk about the second one. This idea that we need to earn somehow what it is that God's done for us. So what I want to try to do is I want to jump into this, and I need us to understand something before we do. I had, it wasn't anybody here, I got, a, I got an email because of the podcast late this week. Um, I got an email from somebody, and, and it, was, it was kind of disturbing. Nobody here, it was one of our podcast listeners. We have a bunch of people that listen through the podcast, and they like to email me when they're upset. Keyboard warriors, I call them. Um, and uh, this guy was upset. This is what confused me. He said, I agree with everything that you said in your message theologically, which I was like, that's a lie. Uh, I don't even agree with everything <laughs> messages that I preach. I'm thinking, okay, and I, I read down, uh, and, then, and then he says, but I don't think you should preach it at a church. What's the point? You just confused people. You said God hates sinners, but then you said God loves sinners, and that's just going to confuse people. You don't need to get so complicated. You just need to keep it simpler, and just he just loves people. Just go there. Why did you have to go to the hate part? Here's why we did that. Here's why I did this. Why when we looked at this series, we said we're going to talk about this. Because I believe that your view of God and how accurately and how clearly you see him is of eternal importance. I'm not okay with us having a kindergarten understanding of God. Look, do you need to understand, do you need to understand that God both loves and hates the sinners to be saved? No. Do I believe it will cause growth spiritually in your life when you do understand that? Absolutely. Do I think we will reflect better a God who is so infinitely complex and so infinitely powerful and so infinitely both judge, uh, both righteous and, and a judge and both loving and a justifier of those who sinned? Yes. Do I believe that we will have a better understanding of what redemption is really about when we understand that we were not good people, that God did a good thing to redeem, but rather we are sinful people that God did a scandalous thing to redeem? Yeah, I think that's going to make us better believers. 
So as we're spending this week now looking at the opposite side, it's not my intention to confuse us. It's my intention to help us have a better, come on, view of the Father, a view of Jesus, a view of the Holy Spirit so we can better understand, come on, who our God is. I think it's of utmost importance. I think the Bible thinks it's important. Paul, in the New Testament, Paul was the, is the man that God used to write uh, really the, the lion's share of the New Testament. And the first book in, in sequential order in our Bibles that Paul gives us is a book we call the book of Romans. We call it that because it was written to the church in Rome. Made up a bunch of Romans. And the people who named the books of the Bible were pretty creative people, huh? This used to frustrate me that we used to name books of the Bible in such, I'm sorry, boring ways. The names are not, are not infallible, just so we're clear on that. Like, God didn't say, and this is the book of Romans. We, we, we named them that. So I had a Bible. It's actually in my office right now. Um, and, and what I decided to do was to help these poor guys out, and I renamed all the books of the Bible. <laughs> like, let's be creative here, guys. Come on. So um, I didn't get very creative with this, though. So I used to call Romans Paul's doctrinal dissertation on the Christian religion. Because that's way more creative. That's what it is, though. It's, what, it's Paul trying to help a bunch of, of backwards, messed up, busted, disgusted people who've experienced redemption understand this whole thing that we're caught up in. It's an amazing book. I recommend it. Romans or Paul's definitive doctrinal statement on the Christian religion. Whatever you want to call it. I want to turn there because I think we get a good picture of what I mean by this here. Romans chapter 1 Verse 18. Romans chapter 1, verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. How does he do that, you say? Verse 20, for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and his divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him. There's the key. They did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. And they... And they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonor of their bodies among themselves. Because, because, why did he do that? Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served, catch that please, served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. I do not have time this morning to unpack all of this. I, I needed us to go here to try to tie together a few things from last week and this week. And here's what I want us to see. God is is clearly seen in creation. This is something a lot of Christians harp about a lot. We can tell that, that there's a creator because there's a creation. If we go to Mars and we find a supercomputer, we're not going to think the sand just banged itself together long enough to turn into a supercomputer. We're going to assume there were aliens there. 
he thinks there's aliens. I didn't say that. <laughs> Calm down. We believe that when you see something that was created, it definitively proves there's a creator. And that is true. But what we need to understand is this. What, what Paul is saying here is that through our unbelief, let me try to simplify this for you, it blinds us to even the attributes of God that we can see through nature. Through our unrighteousness, we suppress, he says, that truth. So the word blinds to it. Sin doesn't just make you bad. Sin makes you blind. Sin is as if, for those of us who, who wear glasses, yes, these are real glasses. No, I am not a hipster who just feels the need to wear you know, big-rimmed glasses. I wear big plastic glasses because I have children and they like to break them. Praise God. And uh, if, if you were to take off your glasses and, and, and dip them into a can of paint and scratch them all up and, and, and rub mud onto them and, and shatter the lenses so they're all cracked and broken and disgusted. Y'all are really blurry right now. Um, you, you, would, you would not be able to see. That's what he's saying you're doing. You're, you're, you're trying to clean off the lenses of your glasses with steel wool. You can't see properly. Yeah, there are some things that we can ascribe. We can see that he's a powerful God, and we can see that he must be separate from the creation that he created in order for him to, be, to, to create it. But really, to know God, what Paul is saying is he has to reveal himself to you. God has to choose to reveal himself to sinful man because we are suppressing that truth continually with our lives. We're suppressing it. We're suppressing it. We're suppressing it. So Isaiah says, look, there's no, no, no eye has seen and no ear has heard of a God like you. We, we, we can't hear and see a God like him. Do you understand that? It is the goodness of God that you and I have even come to a place, for those of us who have, and I pray if you have not that you will today, come to a place of acknowledging his supremacy and our dependency. That's a gift for you to know that. So what Paul here is doing is he's showing us that Jesus had to come so we could see God. Now going back to Isaiah, what is the attribute? I found this so fascinating as I studied this out. What's the attribute that Isaiah decides to, to describe and ascribe to the Lord? There's, there's many. He could have talked about his holiness. He could have talked about his worthiness. He could have talked about his justice, his judgment, his, his, his righteousness. He, he could have talked about the fact that he's a jealous God. No eye has seen a God like you, jealous God. No. Do you know what he, do you know what he does? What, is, what does he do here? What does he, what does he ascribe to him? I got I to go back. What does, he, what does he do? He says in verse 4, From of old, no one has heard or perceived by the ear. No eye has seen a God besides you. Catch this, please. Who acts for those who wait for him. I was told a story once, I don't know if it's true or not, but it was said in a message, so it has to be. That in England, some time ago, a bunch of pastors and theologians were gathered together trying to decipher and determine what makes Christianity so unique. And they were supposedly arguing for a couple days well, the, it's the fact that we have a Bible. Well, the other religions have books that they claim to be truth. Well, it's, it's this. Well, it's that. And they're arguing back and forth for days because pastors like to argue. And the story that I heard goes something like this. It sounds like it could be true. That a man walked into the room and kind of said, well, what, what, what's everybody doing here? And 
Well, we're trying to figure out what makes Christianity so unique and what, what sets it apart from other religions. And this man looked around the room and said, how long have y'all been here? Well, we've been here a couple days. We're really, we're really trying to hammer this out. He said, really, because it's grace. Grace is what makes the gospel and Christianity and Jesus so unique. That man, by the way, supposedly was C.S. Lewis. He's a pretty smart guy. Point here is this that the, the attribute that Isaiah is ascribing to the Lord is that God alone is a God who says, You wait and I'll work. See, every other religion says, you, you, God's waiting for you to work to somehow show him that you're worthy of his saving, to, to somehow deserve it or somehow earn it. Church, I have very good news for you. You will never deserve it and you can therefore never earn it. You have already, I love you, disqualified yourself from redemption. Let's pray. No. Um, I, I was kidding. They're like jumping ahead. They're awesome. Um, <laughs> that would be the worst church ending ever. You're unworthy. I'm out. And just go. No, they, We've already, we've already proven that we don't deserve it and there's nothing we can do to earn it. He works, we wait. The gospel stands unique in this attribute. I find it interesting, the, the words here in, in Hebrew, just for those of you who like this stuff, for those of you who don't, just bear with me. I think there's something in here for you. The word work in Hebrew, means means to squeeze or to twist, like to twist a rag. Anybody ever have to do that with a wet rag and you're twisting it and you're wringing it out? That's, that's the picture that God's doing. And, and the word wait, when you really dig into what it means, it just means to cut. It's that idea that, like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm out. I can't do that. I just can't do this. I'm cutting it off. It's, I'm done. He works. Come on. We wait. That's the gospel. Not look busy. He's coming back. The reality is, come on, somebody. He does all the work. And what we read in Psalms is that, that, that we wait on him. I, I love the way that it's so, God is so blunt with us. He, he says this in Psalms, we read at the beginning. If I had need of something, I'm not going to ask you. How many times, come on somebody, to be like, well, God really needs me. I was, I was a young, stupid kid, younger and stupider than I am now. Um, and it was actually in this parking lot, and I was sitting with Brandon Rector, the former youth pastor here, and, and, and I, was, I was in this moment of passionate desire for the Lord, and I said, I'm just so glad that God needs me. And thank the Lord, he was like, God does not need you. And I was so offended. <laughs> yes, he does. Because he gave me a job to do. And, and Brandon told me this, I'll tell this to you. God gave you a job to do for your honor, not for his good. He could get it done much better without you. Come on, somebody. Do you realize something? You said, well, no, we're called to preach the gospel. Yeah, we are. We are called to deliver the message of the Lord to the people that he has called us to do. Do you know that donkeys have a better track record in the Bible of effectively delivering God's word to people than people do? Now, sometimes we sound like donkeys. Hello? But, all y'all trying not to laugh like, mm, I don't get it. Yeah, you do. God does not need you. I love the way he says it. If I, needed, if I needed something, as if God could need something, I wouldn't ask you. Why? Because he owns everything. Everything you have, he made. How many of y'all decided to be born yourself? 
How many of you filled the world with water so that we could have water to live and move? Nobody? Yeah. How many of you decided to create an atmosphere on this planet so that when you were born out of your own choice, you could, you know, do stuff like, you know, breathe and stuff? None of us. He, he owns everything. Not in some existential, out there kind of, in a very real, practical way. You can't even make your heart beat faster or slower by just sitting there. You, you can't determine how tall you are. Some of you really know that very well. I love you. No, it is, it is the Lord who, who, is, who is sovereign over all things. It is the Lord who does the work. We do the waiting. Now, come on, sometimes it's work to wait. But we add nothing. I, I believe it was Spurgeon, some of you probably correct me if I'm wrong, who said, so the only thing we add to our salvation is our need of it. <laughs> I like that. And here's the reason why, there's several, but I think the predominant reason why God has chosen this way is because when we are in need and we cry out to him and he demonstrates his goodness to us, it naturally rolls up into the praise, into the thanksgiving, into the glory of his name. That he might be the sole recipient of glory for redemption. People say, you, you put too much weight on God's part of redemption. That's because I'm trying to put as much glory on his part as I possibly can. Because I think he ought to be honored above all and in all and through all because he does all. Amen? He does the working. Come on. We do the waiting. Any progress, any transformation, any change in my life is solely the work of his grace and his goodness toward me. Isaiah's already told us, within us nothing good dwells. So any good that's there post-redemption is his fault, not mine. It's his work, not mine. It's his doing, not mine. He does the working. We do the waiting. It's not look busy. It's stop building a wall to separate yourself from God. It's stop rubbing your glasses with an SOS pad. Stop suppressing the truth of who God is by your unrighteousness. We, we talk about in the church sometimes, we use the example of redemption that we're on one side and there's a great chasm, a great canyon, and God's on the other and we're just you know, helpless on this side. And while there is truth to that, while I think there is something uh, powerful in understanding that as part of our problem and the, the picture then is that the cross comes down and becomes this bridge for us to get back to God. It's my contention that while there is some truth to be seen there, a better picture is this, that we are standing right in front of God and we are building a wall to keep him out. Our sin doesn't just create a canyon. It's not like we're somehow the, the recipients solely of a bad deal. We choose to keep the bad deal going. Our sin, every time we choose to, to believe the lie that I can pick what's right better than God can show me what's right, we are stacking more bricks and mortar to keep him out. And the gospel and the coming of Christ is not just him dropping a bridge for us to get across. It is him violently and strategically and scandalously busting down that wall, grabbing us by our scruffy little necks and dragging us back into redemption for him because he does the work and we do the waiting. If there's a work for us to do, it's stop building the wall. I've said this for years. I'll keep saying it. It's not about trying harder. It's about trusting more. 
It's about me believing that there is more joy and more life and more truth and more goodness not building this wall and being with him. Here's where I want to land this. Because this is the question I get asked the most when I say it's not about trying harder, it's about trusting more. (laughs) Okay, so how do I do that? Well, what do I do then? It's not about trying harder. It's about trusting more. Okay, yeah, I get it. So what do I do? Oh, let me help you. I think what you're really asking, I'm, I'm making fun of it. I'm sorry. I think what we're really asking is what does that look like? What does it look like to trust more and not try harder? Because all I've done my whole life is try harder. When I couldn't beat, come on, I need, I need some help from some people that know the struggle when I couldn't beat Mario level five, three, come on, it was horrible. I, I, I tried harder. I pushed the button harder. It didn't matter back then. <laughs> it's what we're, what we're geared to do. Come on, we, 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 we fail. What do we do? We try harder. That, that's that's beat into our head. So I need to try to show us what it looks like to not try harder, but trust more because, because we're going to instantly just go back to trying harder. We're going to make trusting more into trying harder to trust more because we suppress the truth in our unrighteousness. Okay. I'm going to read you four verses real fast. Give you the, I'll give you the references up front to those of you who are taking notes that love me enough and love Jesus enough to take notes in church. <clears throat> you can do this. Isaiah 40, 30, and 31. Philippians 2, 12, and 13. 2 Corinthians 4, 18. And Romans 10, 17. They'll come up as we go. Here we go. Isaiah 40. Isaiah 40, 30, and 31. These are the closing. It's not happening. Great! Who loves technology? I love technology. I don't love technology. We're going to do this old school. This is awesome. Isaiah 40. We can do this. Isaiah 40, verses 30 and 31. Isaiah 40, 30 and 31. Helps if I'm on the right page. Every youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they, though, but they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. Come on, somebody. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. Philippians. Hey, there we go. Philippians 2, 12. Can we give it up for the tech team back there? Come on. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, catch this please, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Wait, that sounds like work. For it is God, come on, who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Next, we've got uh, first, or 2 Corinthians 4.18. It says, 
as we look not to the things, catch this please, as we look not to the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient. That means temporal or fading away or passing. But the things that are unseen are eternal. That means they were there before, they'll be there now, and they'll be here forever. Last but not least, we have Romans chapter 10, verse 17. Familiar verse, especially to those of you who love faith. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Okay, so let me break this down for you. So we, 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 we understand this, right? We we get this, so, so th- this, this is the best way I can try to ex- describe this. All the 90s kids in the room are already ahead of me. I'm sorry, I was a youth pastor for 15 years, and I was raised in the 90s. This is where I go. This is this, right, I'm reading these, I'm kind of struggling through, so I'm going, okay, I'm going, okay, so, so, so we, we need to wait on him, and then we need to, we need to wait on him, we need, to, we need to rest in him, we need to wait on him, and then we need to see what he's working in us, and we need to partner with him, and then we need to listen more than we see, so what we need to do is stop, collaborate with the Lord, and then listen to what he says. So we need to stop, collaborate, and listen. I'm sorry, this, you're just, I'm not sorry. It's raised in the 90s. This is ingrained in my head. I need, look, look, if we're going to get over this idea of, by the way, for those of you who don't understand this, there's this wonderful rap artist, creative man who just changed the world. Um, Paved the way, really paved the way for guys like Eminem and and guys like Macklemore, the first white rapper. Come on. Who was he? Vanilla Ice and his big song was... Ice Ice Baby, and the start of that song was Stop Collaborating. Yeah, I get disappointed every time it comes on because I think Queen's coming on, but it's not. Stop, collaborate, listen. I'm hoping by using the most ridiculous analogy in the world that every time you try to work, will pop in your head. Church is boring. We stop. What does it look like to try to trust more and not try harder? Stop! I don't make it any simpler than that. If what you're doing is in an effort to try to earn God's grace, stop it. Just stop. Stop. We stop. We, We stop. We wait on the Lord. Isaiah 40, 30 and 31 told us, look, even young people are going to get tired eventually. I'm waiting for this to be proven true with my children. (laughs) Eventually they do crash. Eventually you're going to run out of strength. But if you wait on the Lord, the Bible says he renews your strength. Not only that, but then Isaiah flips the analogy. He says, if you wait on the Lord, you won't just have legs, you'll have wings. It's better than Red Bull. Which no one should drink. I love you. Let me pastor you for a minute. Stop drinking Red Bull. It doesn't give you wings. It gives you diabetes and heart problems. That's what it gives you. Maybe there's an acronym in there. I don't know. We stop. Wait on the Lord. But what do I do? You stop and you wait on the Lord. We wait. We stop and we wait on the Lord. Then 
Philippians tells us that we are to work out our salvation. There is, there is a job for us to do. Like my parents who left the house, they gave us something to do. Jesus did not just leave you here with a pocket full of quarters to play some video games until the rapture happens. We're not just supposed to play some sort of fantasy game and keep ourselves busy until Jesus decides to just vacuum suck all the Christians out of the world. No, he gave us a real job to do. But here's the thing, if we do it in and of ourselves, we will not be able to do it. So stop trying. Stop trying harder. Start trusting more. It means, it means abandoning your building efforts and beginning to collaborate. I love the way Philippians says it. Work out what God's working in. Don't have time to go into a Greek study with you here, but this is the idea. And I love this. Because we're like, okay, back to work. No, 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 no. The, word that, the words work are different. They're different Greek words. We, we don't see that in English, but they're there in the Greek. They're different. The work that God's doing, the work that we're doing is different. The work that God's doing in the Greek when you study is he's pouring something out. And the word that we're doing is we're pulling something down. How ridiculous is that? If I dump a bucket of water on your head, you don't need to pull down at all. Right? You're just going to get soaking wet. Do I need to demonstrate this? <laughs> The idea here is this, that God is pouring things out into our lives, that God is, is stirring within us, that God is imparting into us giftings and desires and, and things that were not there before. And our part is simply to pull those things down as he's pouring them out, to let them out as he's working. Work it out as he's working it. And it's, it's, him, it's him that is, is working within you both to will and to do. Listen, I'm going to get real super practical for a minute. I never had a desire ever once in my pre-redemption life to ever give any money to anybody without receiving something in return. Never. I never once was in a church service and somebody got up to, t to receive a, uh, an offering or tithes and thought, I'm going to give money to them. Never once had a will to do that. Shocking, isn't it? And I remember the first time after being redeemed, after repenting and trusting the Lord, the first time somebody got up to, to receive an offering. And, and I don't have time to get into my story. I had money from illegal things that I did back then. And I remember the moment where I went, I'm giving this all to Jesus. And I remember thinking, that's, that's not me, that's the devil. Really? The devil wants you to give money to the church? Yeah, that makes sense. No, it's he's working in you. He's working desires and, and dreams, and, and he's placing within you that which he desires for you to do, but it's, he's the one who's giving you the will. And guess what? It's not just that. The Bible also says in Philippians, it's he's the, he's the one that's doing the work. He's even the one that's within you pulling the work down. So he's pouring it out, and you're pulling it down, but he's really in you pulling it down. So how much, how much honor and glory do you get? Love you. Stop, collaborate, work with him, collaborate. He's pouring it out, you pull it down. Hello? And then we listen, because here's the problem. This is why I say listen. This is why I say listen, because here's what you're going to do. Here's exactly what's going to happen in your heart. You're going to stop. You're going to collaborate. Work with the Lord. But things aren't going to look the way you think they ought to look. Here's a hint. When you read the Bible... Every person who goes off what they see gets into problems. Time after time after time, children of Israel, God's just miraculously delivered them from the world's superpower in military, and then he takes them to the promised land. They send in some spies. They see that there are giants in the land. They say, they look like giants. We look like crickets. Let's just not go here. Why? Because they went by what they saw. David, supposed to be out fighting a battle. 
Supposed to be out leading his army, King David. Supposed to be out leading his army. He decides he's tired, doesn't want to go to war. Makes sense. So he just sends out his army. What's he doing? He's hanging out at his house, and the Bible says he's gazing across, and he sees a woman bathing. He, he sees her. He desires her. He rapes her. She gets pregnant. He has her husband murdered, man after God's own heart. What got him in trouble? His eyes. When we go off what we see, we get into problems. But the Bible tells us that we don't walk by what we see, we walk by faith. 